So also, says John, James, the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great exploits. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. It was heartening to have a number of you tell me when I said I was going to do a series on James that it was your favorite book of the Bible. And I hope I'm not messing it up for you during this uh, series in September. But you demonstrate the wisdom that often the normal, untrained follower of Jesus Christ has over the scholar and theologian. You see, James's epistle has gotten short shrift in the academy and from theologians over the years. For the Protestant world, it starts with Martin Luther disparaging it as a right strawy epistle because there aren't enough references to Christ in it and because Luther perceived tension between James's stress on good works and Paul's stress on faith apart from works. And I did the little bit that I could last week to try to speak to that. And for 500 years, too many Protestants who've read James, reluctantly, and with more to an eye to how to reconcile with Paul than to listen to James's call for unbridled tongues, how to sink between words and deeds and affections singularly focused on God, well, we've just missed the point. And until recently, the emergence of modern scholarship didn't help much, treating the epistle like a sloppy patchwork of derivative ethics. Of late, though, literary analysis has come to appreciate how this letter does what a really good symphonic composer does, introduce a theme in the overture, then sit on it, and then later on bring it in and develop it. That's precisely what James does by introducing three motifs back in chapter 1, verses 18 and 19, when he redefines religion around a bridled tongue, caring for widows and orphans, and keeping oneself unstained by the world, and then exploring and developing precisely those themes in chapters 2 through 5. Now, last week in chapter 2, we saw James deal with the second of those themes, letting deeds speak. This week in chapter 3, we see James take up that first theme, using words well. Now, fittingly, this chapter about words demonstrates some of the finest verbal artistry in all of the New Testament. James, for instance, picks up the bridling image from chapter 1, noting the irony of how easily we bridle animals, but can't bridle our tongues. And then his short quips about ships and fire in verse 5 are, they're sheer poetry. The tongue, small member and large boast. Such a spark, such a forest. And I think every one of us knows what it is to be decimated by a single comment that goes towards us, that puts us in the loser category. And we also know how, how your life just seems so wonderful when somebody says, 
Wow, that was awesome. And, and, and then in verse 6, there is this chillingly beautiful alliteration and assonance where James says, the tongue sets on fire the wheel of Genesis, literally, well, i.e. life, and, it, and is set on fire by Gehenna, hell itself. Genesis in the Greek, Gehenna in the Greek, life and hell. The tongue setting the wheel of life on fire itself, being set on fire by hell itself. <laughs> Drop the mic. That's gorgeous Greek. And what's so fun is it's all about the tragedy of words being used badly. But truth be told, as I launched into this passage for myself, it was personally hard to get past verse 1. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers and sisters, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. It's like, I shouldn't say anything to anybody. I should just go and write a sermon to myself. Well, and I did. I, <laughs> I really just, I had to stop thinking about you for a while and, and think about me. And as I did, I found myself thinking about the special ways that I, as a priest, am called to use words. There are three things that I'm supposed to be able to do as a priest with words. They're really supposed to benefit you, but they have to come out of reality of my own heart. To absolve, to bless, and to consecrate. To announce God's forgiveness of sin. How's that going for me? To, to bless, that is to invoke God's smile. And can I really imagine God smiling on my life? And three, to consecrate, that is to set aside sacramental elements as symbolic of all of life, as holy unto the Lord. Have I really done that? Am I genuinely doing that? And so I've spent some time trying to do some inventory, thinking about what I'm supposed to be so that you can be what you're supposed to be. And I'm only going to open up that window that far because I'm come back to you. <laughs> the reality is all of us, all of us are what James calls in chapter one, a kind of first fruits of God's new creation. Elsewhere, the New Testament says that our mutual knowledge of the Lord means we don't need special teachers, Hebrews chapter 8, verse 11, and that together we are a holy and royal priesthood, 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 5 and 9, and we're a band of prophets, Acts 2, verse 17. So I'd like to, I'd like to think with you for a few minutes this morning about how we together are called to be a people of absolution, a people of blessing, and a people of consecration. First, a people of absolution. The foundational promise of the new covenant, according to Jeremiah chapter 31, verse 34, and Hebrews chapter 8, verse 12, is this. 
I, God, will remember their sins no more. Holy amnesia about our sin because of what Christ does on the cross. Now, what that means in day-to-day living is James 3, verse 2. It's okay to admit all of us make mistakes. All of us make mistakes. If there is a case for outdoing one another in anything, it's outdoing one another in acknowledging our shortcomings, our imperfections, not pretending to be more than we are, being ready with a ready, I'm sorry, my bad. What can I do to make this right? We're called to be vessels of grace. This is what it is to be first fruits of God's new creation, messengers of God's deep mercy and forgiveness, aware of the profound deficits out of which so many people operate, knowing that they've been covered for me and for you, and abundantly so. And so, really, I can say to you, all is forgiven knowing that if I don't, I'm just taking toxicity into my soul. And what it is to be first fruits of this new creation is refusing to take into yourself the toxicity, the poison of unforgiveness, the poison of bitterness. As most of you know, over the last few weeks, we've been recruiting people to join foyer groups. And for those of you who are just coming back from the summer, We're so glad you're back and sorry that you weren't around when we were doing this. And we'd love to know about your interest in the next round of these four-year groups. But over the next year, groups of eight to ten people will be getting together. We have some 92 people in the church signed up. Um, Groups of eight to ten people will be getting together once a month, hosting one another just to talk and enjoy what it is to be brothers and sisters in Christ, reconciled to one another because we've been reconciled to God. Here's how four-year groups got started. In England, the city of Coventry's 14th century cathedral was destroyed by the German Blitz in 1940. As is well known, Winston Churchill knew that the German bombers were on the way, but he kept it to himself because he didn't want the Germans to know that we had broken the Enigma Code. Rather than respond with bitterness, the congregation of the Coventry Cathedral birthed a ministry of reconciliation called the Community of the Cross and Nails, inspired by a cross that they made up of old nails that had fallen among the ruins and that they had gathered and put together. Then in the 1960s, a time of profound strife and social unrest, as uh, too many of us remember too well, that same church began small meetings over meals to, in their words, bridge the divisions which subtly separate us from one another. See, at the heart of our worship, at the very heart of our worship, Having been reconciled and forgiven, we offer one another signs of reconciliation and forgiveness. The peace of the Lord be with you and also with you. Forgiveness is what we do. And so for each of the three things I'm talking about today, I want to offer 
a brief line to help you get words in you to control your tongue and therefore your life. Here, to be a community of, to be a community of absolution, the Jesus prayer. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Say that with me. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. That's the deepest, most profound prayer any of us could pray. The second thing I'd like to talk about is being a people of blessing. You know, the basic covenantal promise to Abraham at the beginning of Genesis 12 was that he and his people, and friends, we are sons and daughters of Abraham and Sarah. The basic covenantal promise was your very presence will be a blessing to the nations. Believe, please, that God's basic posture towards you is one of blessing, of smiling upon you, of looking favorably towards you so that now you can reflect that same smile, that same blessing to others. I've talked with you many times about learning how to, um, to train dogs for o- the obedience ring. And I think I've mentioned before, and I'll mention again, the very first lesson that I had to learn was for every word of correction, I needed to offer my dog 10 words of praise. 10 words of praise for every single word of instruction. That's a good way to live. To be known as one who will offer 10 words of appreciation and encouragement for every word of, I wouldn't do that. Now, James is a pastor with an attitude. And he's offering correction. But it is all with the intent of calling these folks that he calls brother and sister. And who he believes God has given new life through his word, and he reminds them, even as he corrects them, that this is so. I need to make sure that my personal bucket is full, and I'm not trying to get you to fill it for me, but it's full because God has made it full and has filled it to overflowing. And so I can adopt a basic disposition of joy, gratitude, and generosity. So that means I'm here for you, not you for me. And you can be that way for each other. To lock that into my soul, and I would commend it to you as well, these words from Paul, Romans 12, verse 1. I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your body. And I'm sorry, that's later. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you, which means to smile, to to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Go, Go find number six, verses 24 through 26, and learn them for yourself. Believe God's smile towards you and share that smile with others. Let us be a people of blessing. And finally, a people of consecration. This one's really hard to speak to, but I feel like I have to. At the beginning of his letter, James warns about being double-minded. 
He takes up that theme in our verses. A spring's water is either fresh or brackish. It can't be both. A tree's yield will be either figs or olives, not both. What comes out of my life towards you will either be godliness or ungodliness. I cannot pretend to speak words of love and faith and holiness and live a life of unfaithfulness, unlove, and unholiness. First and foremost, in the context of this chapter, friends, what it means, because he starts talking to teachers first, first and foremost, what this means is it's your duty, your job, and your right to beware of spiritual leaders on the make. Those whose calling is to treat all of life and every single person as holy and beautiful unto the Lord just because they're made in God's image. But then who use their position to profane and defile and to make ugly what God wants to be beautiful in its own rights. That's just wrong. And it's so hurtful and painful. One of the things that would make James particularly upset would be to find spiritual leaders sending mixed signals like those a now fallen celebrity pastor wrote to one of his congregants. You are spiritually gifted and you are so hot. You know, there are ways of encouraging one another and building one another up, but there are, there are ways of going fishing too. And there are lines not to be crossed. And you need to know that your clergy understand that line and we're here to love you for who you are and to encourage you towards holiness and not away from holiness, to build you up and not tear you down, to serve you and not manipulate you into service of us. Every congregant, every congregant of every, of, of every church, no matter what the stripe, and don't just look across the street, every congregant of every church, no matter what the stripe, needs to be confident that shepherds are there to tend and care for, not abuse and fleece the sheep. And friends, pray that that may be so here. And for all of us, it means the idea that a spring can only have one kind of water, a tree will only produce one kind of fruit. It means the only really compelling argument we have these days for the veracity of the faith is the integrity of our lives. And if the world isn't believing it because they see the church full of hypocrites, that's not a phony argument. If they don't believe because they don't see the reality in us, that's on us, not on them. May God, by God's singular grace, all our lives be living embodiments of Paul's injunction that I started a little while ago in Romans 12, 2, 
burn this, please, into your heart. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God. This, the presenting of your bodies, is your spiritual worship. And so, I pray with and for us. Lord, make us a people of absolution. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Lord Jesus Christ, make us a people of blessing. Would you bless your people and keep them? Would you make your face to shine upon them and be gracious unto them? Would you lift up your countenance upon them and give them peace? And Lord, make us a people of consecration. May we take to heart the apostles' appeal to us as brothers and sisters to present our bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable, knowing that this is our spiritual worship. Amen.